0: that this pulpit has some room. Okay. And I have a Bible this time. (laughs) Some of you might remember I got up here and preached one time and I had to go look for a Bible. Not a good thing. Let's pray. Lord and Father, as pilgrims, we do pray, Lord, that you'll just help us in our journey, that we might learn to trust you And Father, also that we might be willing to look seriously at our own hearts and our own needs and concerns. And Lord, that you will help us both be watchful and also content, Father, in your grace and mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 30. Yes? Brushing against your a little bit. Oh, don't want to do that, okay. And um, as we usually do, I guess we can stand one more time and stretch before the long sermon. <laughs> as we listen to the word of God from Proverbs chapter 30. The words of Agur, son of Jeketh, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I do not have the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood. And lying, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from mankind. The leech has two daughters, give and give, they cry. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Three things are too wonderful for me, for I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he's filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide for their food in summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, and yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, but it is in the king's palaces. Three things are stately in their tread. Four are mighty in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among the beasts and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster, the he goat, and a king whose army is with him. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, pressing anger produces strife. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated mm. have you ever done something stupid <laughs> okay we can stop there we, we finished okay and felt very foolish afterwards well you know it might be something you know like spending some bucks on that phone call to remove non-existent viruses from your computer Or perhaps ordering something from Facebook that's too good to be true because it was too good to be true? Well, you know, in our passage here, it says that I am a man. I have not the understanding of man. I'm too stupid to be a man. And I'm sure most of the wives will agree that this is truth. (laughs) That men are stupid and um, they do stupid things. They do not ask for directions. No matter how hopelessly lost they get, they don't ask for directions. Uh, They also um, um, don't read instructions when putting something together. And I see some nods out there. Um, Yeah. Do the men do this, wives? Yeah, I think so. Um, They don't listen to their wives. I mean, yeah, that's probably true. And what's worse is they won't admit it when the wife says, I told you so. Um, Perhaps you do something foolish like showing up for church for discipleship hour in time for setup, which could happen in two weeks when they change the clocks. You know, daylight same times begins and here we are early. Might as well help put the chairs up. Or perhaps um, you leave the key in the trunk of your car while unloading stuff for a church picnic and spend the whole time at the picnic trying to get someone to help you get the key out of the trunk of the car so you can get home. I'm sure that's never happened to you. Um, Or perhaps you've driven up to a mountain trail 40 miles from the nearest town and left your lights on as you hiked up to Cascade Pass. And perhaps when you get back down, you have to ask every hiker that comes down the hill, do you have a pair of jumper cables? And just perhaps, when you jump the car, you do it backwards and burn out this little wire called the fusible link. Perhaps you have to hitchhike 40 miles into town to the only service station that's open for five more minutes and beg someone to come install a dollar 50 piece of wire on your car. And which he gladly does though it was time for him to go home for his dinner and you thank him very much as you write that check for 150 bucks for that dollar 50 piece of wire. Now surely that doesn't happen to any of us. Um, But there are times when we do something foolish and we really know we have blown it. Perhaps choosing this passage to preach on is one of those times. (laughs) Because most of you are right now thinking, is he going to unpack this or what? I don't understand why he chose this these verses. We've been talking about being in exile, walking in exile. Peter's been preaching to us and teaching us what it is to be a people in exile, living in a world that's sinful and yet walking in the ways of our king. We've dealt with issues like authority and we've dealt with all sorts of issues along the way, and I can think back to other things that God has been speaking to us about, in which he's been talking to us about the way we should walk in a wicked world. Now, as I've looked over this passage, I thought it was appropriate, because this is a man who is in a sense on a pilgrimage. He's living in a world in which there's a lot of sin and he's wrestling with it. And as he struggles with these things he's worn himself out. I am weary. I am so weary. I'm worn out. I don't understand these things. I not just don't understand where the wisdom is. Now, remember, this is the book of Proverbs. We have had 29 chapters of wisdom. And here's this guy. Now, who is this guy, by the way? I mean, I've never heard of this this person. It's not one of the prophets, is it? Well, I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Some think perhaps Solomon. After all, he wrote the book of Proverbs, but this seems to be a little appendix, and it says it's written by Agur, the son of Jekah, whoever they were, Um, and yet I would suggest probably this is an appendix that Solomon is attached, it's written by someone else, some think perhaps it's an Ishmaelite or a heathen writing this, because he says, I don't know anything about the Holy One, I don't have any theological insights, and... um, that's a possibility but Solomon well you know Solomon was um, pretty rich and this guy says don't give me any riches and Solomon you know wrote 29 chapters of the book of Proverbs and probably wouldn't say I don't have any wisdom or knowledge of the Holy One Scholars, they they argue about this, and Jeff will probably tell tell me this afterwards. Yes, this is true, that um, there's a lot of confusion about this particular passage. And yet, as I first came to it, I came to it as if it was instruction, teaching. But then I came to realize that this is poetry. This is emotion. This is feelings. This is personal This is the cries of a person and expressing himself in poetic forms. And so we don't want to come to these verses as if it's trying to teach us doctrine. We rather want to come to these verses as if it's something that's speaking to us about our journey. And as we wrestle through this passage, and I'm not probably going to give you the final word on things, but I hope you'll come to see this, that um, it's a pilgrim's journal. He's been making observations along the way. Uh, One commentator says that we find in this writer an observer with a lively interest in our fellow human beings of all shapes and sizes, combining an insatiable curiosity with a deep humility in the face of mystery, and on the other, a clear insistence on the values revealed to us. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, And we find this person comes, kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, Brett took us through Pilgrim's Progress and we had all these allegories, you know, and and, uh, people that personified their names and that kind of thing. Well, in this case, we have something similar, but it's in riddle form. We'll get into that in a moment, but we have riddles here. And... So as I start to unpack this, I want you to realize several things right off the front. That when we interpret the Bible, the clear passages interpret the unclear passages. So we need to look elsewhere to find the final explanations. Secondly, we need to realize that um, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. And so the New Testament has to speak to this passage. And we also have to realize that the epistles interpret narrative and poetic passages. So obviously what Paul and Peter and others say speaks to what this person says in the book of Proverbs. And finally, we have to realize that the whole teaching of the word of God helps us understand individual passages. Okay, having said that, as we start to unpack this, you know, Jesus said, "Enter." By the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Excuse me, I lost my eye. But those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. Okay, so here we got this guy. And the first thing he says is, I am stupid, I'm an idiot. I am foolish. I need wisdom. I've done something that has left me in a state of confusion, spiritually. Because he immediately begins to talk about who is God. And, um, you know, this sounds very familiar. We read this. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. this sound familiar? I mean, immediately some people are starting to think, hey, this sounds just like uh, the book of Job. Job chapter 40 where it talks about God and how God is so much higher and bigger and different from us and how lowly we are in comparison. And it's true, and and what was that written in the face of? Job was hurting. He was hurting. And he had to remind himself of where he stood before God. And when we finally get to the last chapter in that story, we find that he found he had fallen short. Or perhaps you're thinking, hey, this is Isaiah chapter and Isaiah is starting to paint this great picture of the God that's going to bring comfort to his people and we've gotten through 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah and we did that as a congregation slowly over a couple of years and suddenly finally we have a picture of God and all his glory and how he stands above us. But, but as I come to these things, the key thing here is not the fact that he gathers the winds in his hands and wears the seas like his garments and he establishes the boundaries of the earth. But the who? Who is this? Obviously, it's God we're talking about here. But there's a little bit more to that because what is his name? And what is his son's name? We're not talking about... uh, some kind of primal force out there, the forces of nature. We're talking about a personal being. Now, truly, when he talks about it here, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's all-powerful. He's um, certainly above and beyond us all. But I think as I began to read this, I started reading this, you know, in terms of, well, this is guy's talking doctrine here but no he's not he's he's expressing a struggle he's having in his heart with who God is and is God really working in my life that's why he comes across with these questions as if he's uncertain because first of all he's worn out and secondly God doesn't seem to really be there in his life so The next question is, can I trust him? And he goes on to say, very quickly, his word is up to the task. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. As we go out on our pilgrim journey, we carry with us the word of God to guide us. And God reveals himself. How do we know God's name? It's revealed in the word of God. How do we know his son? And this is very interesting because this is the Old Testament. This is before Christmas. Do you know his son's name? Now, we could wrestle with what this means exactly, but I think it's kind of interesting that that here we're beginning to get a grip on who we are in a relationship with. And in that relationship, how do we walk? We walk in the light of His Word. We find our refuge in Him. He becomes our shield. Well, this is great, but why is this guy hurting so much? Now we come to the fun stuff, because we come here now to his prayer. Now, there are two verses in this chapter that have always been favorites of mine. This verse is one that um, anytime you want to talk about stewardship, You read this verse, you say, um, Two things I ask of you, deny them not before me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Well, let's take this as just straight commandments. He said here, the golden mean is the key thing. You don't want to be too rich. Too many temptations there. Solomon certainly knew them. Um, You don't want to be too poor. You might be tempted to steal or do other things that would dishonor God. That's a great verse. Verse. But this is a prayer of a man who is hurting. And he starts out by saying, remove from me falsehood and lying. And interestingly, we get down to the bottom of the chapter, and he says, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. Well, we've got some more to get into here but my suggestion to you is this that we don't want to just read this as oh this is a prayer a principle that we should pray all the time but realizing as we pray this that this is personal this involves struggles he's having in his own heart as he asks these things of god and yes it is very similar to the lord's prayer give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and so on but As I started to think about these things and started wrestling with it, why is this guy hurting? Why does he pray this prayer here? And then we come to the long list of interesting and often confusing metaphors and observations he makes. Where is he going in this? And so we want to look on into the text and see if perhaps we can find what it is that is an issue with him. Can it be that um, he slandered a servant to his majesty and came down, uh, was cursed and held, held guilty? Could it be that he has mocked his father or scorned his mother? Could it be like the way of the adulteress who eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong? Could it be the one that has been foolish and exalted themselves, devised evil, and then realized that they have stepped away from their God? You know, we live in a world that is struggling constantly with obedience to God. And so we have here a string of references to the kind of people you will meet in this world. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes and are not washed of their filth. Boy, this guy doesn't hesitate on the use of words, does he? There are those how lofty are their eyes and how their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are like knives. They devour the poor off the earth, the needy from among mankind. They're like leeches. Give me, give me, give me. The word there for there are those actually says is the word for generations. There are generations of people that are rebels against authority. They dishonor their fathers and mothers. They break the law. Um, We've learned about authority over the last few weeks from the book of Peter and the different uh, things of authority God has set over us. There are those who rebel against it, and we see it all around us. On the daily news, the people we know, it's a constant thing. Generations... After generations, those who are hypocrites, they're clean in their own eyes. As far as they're concerned, they don't do anything wrong, but anybody else could tell them, no, they are hypocrites, they are dirty. There are those who are so proud that they walk above everybody else. Their eyes are lofty. There are those who are just plain greedy. They're never satisfied. They can't get enough. You know what he's dealing with here? He's dealing with the sinful nature of mankind. All of sin. Now, we had a very good explanation of that in our discipleship hour. And those of you that were there for that, have been reminded of that fact. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin manifests itself in rebellion. It manifests itself in hypocrisy and greed and all these things. And this person is living in the midst of this and perhaps has tripped up himself, fallen into these things, has perhaps discovered that he did, yes, once upon a time, steal some gum from the five and dime or maybe he did something even worse but he's struggling with his sin and he's struggling with living and walking in a sinful world and it's interesting to note this that there's a little chiasm Jeff in this these verses in that first it talks about the mouth uh, those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers then he talks about the eyes those who in their own eyes are clean and yet how lofty are their eyes and then he speaks in the next verse about whose teeth, his mouth again, whose fangs are like knives to devour, the mouth and the eyes. These are the two areas in which our inner man relates to the outward world, what we take in, what we see, what we say. And Jesus has warned us repeatedly about your eyes and your mouths. And whether it's Jesus talking about your eyes of the lamp of your body, and, and, but those also the source of lusts and cravings and other things like that, um, or the mouths which are never satisfied and speak slander and curses against others. These are two areas in which we have to have an attitude of watchfulness. Because I think this is the first thing he's saying here to us, that we need to put deception and lying away from us. We need to be circumspect. We need to be watchful. That's the A, I guess. B is coming. And as he says this, he's reminding us that First John, chapter 2, 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Scripture teaches us repeatedly we have to be careful with our eyes and with our mouths that at times we have to not say things. At times we have to look away from things lest we fall into temptations. And so he's praying here, keep me away from the lie. And you know the lie, the truth, is probably the biggest thing we're struggling with in our culture and generation at this time. We have false truth, we have deep truth, we have true truth, which is really not true at all. And all around us we wrestle with where our information is coming from and what kind of information it is to us and and where does it come in, where does it go out. But we struggle with truth and yet the truth we need is that which God gives us. And so we find this man is teaching us in this prayer, help me be watchful, circumspect. But now we get to the fun part. Because as I said, we have riddles here. Now, on Sunday mornings, we used to drive to church, and on the way, we would listen to Will Shorts with the puzzle. Now, anybody here familiar with the puzzler on NPR? I only see a couple of hands. (laughs) I don't know, for 30 years on Sunday mornings, Will Shorts, who is the uh, the crossword puzzle editor for the New York Times, would go on the radio and they would have someone call in and um, he would give them a series of puzzles, whether riddles or anagrams or various things, and then they would come up with answers, you know, and they would sit there and wrestle and struggle with it and you're kind of trying to help them along. There'd be a puzzle each week that would give you an entry into this thing and a new puzzle and so on. But there were all kinds of puzzles and riddles and things like that. And um, it was always kind of a nice stimulating thing to experience the puzzler. And what we have here is now a series of puzzles. Is there a structure to this? I mean, as I was reading this, did it feel like you were... Going through a f- structured flow of thought? Or did it feel like a pop, 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 pop collection of things? A lot of the book of Proverbs is basically that. It's each verse is just a verse unto itself. It really doesn't have a lot of connection to the verses before and after. But I would suggest to you that we do have a structure here. And in particular, it's these numeric riddles. There are three things. No, there are four. Three, but four. And there are four things. And so it says three, but no, let's say four. And in each of these things, they enhance the poetry of a given saying. They serve as memory aids. They build to a climax And they give you numerous examples of a subject implying there are many more. And we've already had one without that introductory feature. As I said, there are three things, four things. Well, there are four kinds of people in this world. And within that four kinds of people, there was a mouth, eyes, eyes, mouth. A little bit of, Jeff would say, Hebrew poetry here. Okay, so now we get into some riddles. Ah, great, I wish I was on the radio. And I might note that interspersed between most of them is a single verse, which is a blunt, often painful observation. For example... The leech has two daughters. Give and give are their names. Or um, the way of an eagle and the... No, that's not it. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens and eaten by the vultures. Hmm. But these things kind of serve as little frameworks of the puzzles, the riddles. Let's get to them. They're more fun. Okay, we have four things here. Um, three things are never satisfied. Four say never enough. Shale, which is the grave, the barren womb, woman that has wanted a child but has never had one. It's, my eyes are okay. The land never satisfied with water and the fire that never says enough. Okay, so here's four things. Think about it. You know, here's the grave. Here is um, the barren womb. What do they have in common? Um, here's a parched land, a desert. And here's one of those wildfires burning up California. What? do they have in common? That is the point. The one thing they have in common is the point, the answer to the thing, in this case, is they're never satisfied. No matter how many people you bury in a graveyard, there's always room for more. A woman who has not been able to have a child will never be satisfied as long as she doesn't have a child. A land that is dried up needs water and a fire keeps burning and burning and burning until it consumes everything. Unless we somehow manage to put it out. They're not satisfied. Oh, before we go into these rest of these, I want to say that what we're now talking about is my B point, which is contentment. First of all, in his prayer, he said that we should avoid lying and um, deception. But then he talks about living in contentment, not having too much, not having enough. And I think most of these riddles relate to this topic of living content with what God brings into our life. Okay. Three things are too wonderful for me. For I do not understand. This is the second verse in the chapter of thirtieth uh, chapter of Proverbs that I just love. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas and the way of a young man with a girl hmm (laughs) do we have an answer what is the thing in common well it's obvious the eagle we don't know how he's does that thing but he's up there flying and he seems to follow no no particular path and The snake on the rock, he goes his way and it's pretty amazing that they can move on a rock without feet, but um, he leaves no path. There's no evidence that he's gone that way. I mean, a ship sails along through the sea and there's a wake for a little while, but then it's gone. The path is no longer there. But when it comes to meeting a young woman, a young man is clueless. (laughs) How do we... uh, We all struggle with this. I mean, you hit adolescence, you start to meet girls or you start to meet guys and suddenly you don't know how to relate to each other. And it's just a, it's just a, the point is here that there are times when the paths are just not clear. We don't exactly know where we are going to be going. And God brings into our lives those times where we just don't know where he's at or It's not absolutely clear which way we should go. Should we buy this car or this house? Or should I marry that woman or say yes to that guy? Especially since he's so foolish. No, in our relationships, in our walk of life, we have to be content that God is in control, that his hand holds the winds that he wears the seas like a garment, that he's established the boundaries of the earth, and that we know him by name. That's oftentimes what has to be sufficient for us. That's our satisfaction. Okay, there are three things under which the earth trembles. This is, I guess, one for California. Under four it will not bear up a slave when he becomes king a fool when he is filled with food an unloved woman when she gets a husband and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress things just aren't right in these situations I mean a, a a slave who's now a king um a fool who's fool. I mean, he should not be fool because he's a fool. Um, and I love a woman who gets a husband, she's never happy because she doesn't feel loved. And though she may have a husband, it may be a very long, hard life. Or a maid servant who displaces her mistress. I th- Maybe this is the six wives of Henry VIII, I don't know, but. um, We live in a world where there are many things that just don't seem right. And perhaps that's what he's struggling with here because he looks at the sin that is running rampant and he's wondering why hasn't God acted here? Why does he tolerate things that are intolerable? Well, we've been on some pretty negative stuff, but it's all part of God's providence. I mean, here we are. uh, We struggle with being satisfied in life, and we should be content with what God gives us. We don't know where God is taking us, but we have to trust that he's leading us in his way, and somehow he will bring us all the way to glory. Um, He hasn't acted yet to bring justice to this world, but he will. But let's be a little bit more positive. There are four things on earth that are small, but they're exceedingly wise. The ants are a people, not strong, but they provide food in the summer. And, you know, ants can store up a lot of food for winter. The rock badgers are little rodents that live up in the mountains, but boy, they live in the cliffs. Wow. You um, watch these shows on TV, on National Geographic channel and stuff about these animals and the amazing ways they live and so on. And, and here this guy is looking at small, insignificant creatures, and yet they have their place and God takes care of them. And sometimes it's in the fact that they have each other, like the ants. Or then there's the locusts, is anybody aware of the locust plagues that are hitting in Africa and the Middle East? Kenya has been hit by tremendous swarms of locusts and they've been devouring all the food and people are facing starvation in Eritrea and uh, Ethiopia and Kenya and even into Uganda and it's, it's terrible, just swarms and swarms of locusts, um, they're don't have a king, there's nobody in charge of where they're going, yet they march in a rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it's in the king's palaces. When I was in Uganda, we went to the bishop's house and um, there were lizards crawling around on the walls, especially they like to hang out near the light fixtures, whether, whatever kind of light fixtures there are, because the bugs come along and... They're insignificant creatures, but they can live in king's palaces. Okay. There are little things, but God takes care of them. Jesus says, the flowers don't worry, the birds don't worry, especially the birds around my bird feeder. God takes care of his creatures. We can trust him. And then there are three things that are stately in their tread, four that are stately in their stride. The lion who is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster, the he-goat and a king whose army is with him. What's the thought here? Hmm. What's that one element that ties these things together? There's order there's structure god has established authority there's a lion he's the king of beasts anybody knows that a rooster it knows he's in charge and he goat anybody know the story of the three billy goats go off knocks trolls off ridges a king who's got an army, is in charge. God has established an order, authority in which we live and oftentimes we struggle with. And again, we're looking at Peter and what he said about order within the home and in the government and so on and so forth. And here we find again, that we live in the providence of what God has provided in the order and structures that he's given us. Okay, so now that we've played with all these riddles, let's go back and review real quickly. Contentment with what God gives us. Sometimes God gives us what we want. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God places us where we think we ought to be, and many times we find ourselves wandering around wondering exactly where we should be. There are times when we look around and we don't think, feel like God is in control here. I mean, we pray and we pray and we don't see answers the way we expect them to come. And, and how do we respond to this? Well, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Trust God in his providence that he's in charge and taking care of you. I mean, he provides the security of his people to help us in our needs, and he also gives us the charge to deal with those who have need, that the poor and those who struggle might find relief. And so I would suggest here In this very difficult and perhaps boring passage, (laughs) that we've got a message here. First of all, we struggle with God, oftentimes in two ways. One, we struggle with ourselves, because it's real easy to get caught up in the ways of the world. And we have to watch our eyes and we have to watch our mouths and we have to be careful lest we fall into deception and be caught in a lie. Lest we find ourselves foolish, exalting ourselves, devising evil instead of being obedient to him. And at the same time, we need to be content with where we are and what God is doing in our lives he will provide. The scriptures say, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We just heard those verses from Timothy. Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, Paul says. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him, who gives me the strength." I titled this sermon, An Idiot's Guide to the Narrow Way. There have been a lot of books published for dummies. They sell rather well. I mean, you get all kinds of things, computer languages, horticulture, car repair for dummies. Another series of books were published called The Complete Idiot's Guide to, and I've always wondered who would buy a book that's written for dummies or idiots well dummies and idiots it's when we realize that we need god in our lives that we find our way along that narrow way let's pray lord and father we just pray that as we wrestle with life as this man has obviously wrestled as father we've looked at the things that don't seem to quite jive in this world with what you want it to be and what you encourage us to be involved in we just ask father that you'll help us as we meditate upon these things this week to discover in you all the sufficiency we need all the wisdom we need And Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.